Welcome to MoneyWeb Now. Business news every morning. It's Wednesday, 20 December. I'm Simon Brown coming at you loud and recorded from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, Mia Krichler, Director at Kruger International. I want to touch on Sabania Stillwater, lots of woes there, and investing into renewable energy. Dr. Adrian Saville from Gibbs Business School. When do we start to see rate cuts and is the world ready to start paying for its debt? The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. I'm chatting with Mia Krichler, Director at Kruger International. Mia, I appreciate the time today. This was a year, I mean, if I look at the local equity market, this, even in the US, it was a year where there were some big winners. There were a year when there were some big losers. It really was a, a stock-picking year. On the win side, what were some of the stocks that really stood out for you? Morning, Simon. Yes, well, the, the clear winners here have been the, the sort of the tech, tech-heavy stocks uh, with strong balance sheets. And those have been the ones that we've been seeing uh, driving the markets higher, especially in the U.S. Uh, you mm. know, the FANG stocks, that's uh, the broader definition of the FANG stocks, have really driven the markets to where we see them today. But just over the last week or so, we've seen that breadth in the market really change, where uh, those stocks have underperformed the broader market, and the broader market has actually sort of caught up, which is a really good sign uh, for, for broader market movement going into 2024. That is a great point because there has been, and in particular, I mean, you know, the Fangs, the Magnificent Seven were doing all the heavy lifting. We're seeing that broadened not only in the S&P, but even sort of in the mid caps in, in, in the US where, where suddenly there's, there's, they're gaining some, some exposure and there's some great stocks there at what are actually now really good prices. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I just think going into, into 2024, uh, coming from this year where we've had the, uh, the last six weeks on the U.S. markets have been phenomenal. They've really driven the markets higher. It's the longest uh, winning streak that we've seen on the S&P 500 mm. since 2020, 2019, uh, which is quite some time. That's before COVID, if you, <laughs> if you don't remember. But, um, but the fact is the South African market was unfortunately hit by various other uh, negative effects. Uh, you know, we've seen that uh, the market here locally not performing as well as we've seen globally. And it's been sort of a, a catch-22 situation where we've seen uh, investors, foreign investors selling South African equities. We've been seeing South African equities being dropped from broader indices on the, yeah. on the global side. And that's uh, creating additional pressure on the, on the selling of those stocks. And it's really just looking uh, very difficult to see how it's going to turn around uh, very soon on the South African side. And I mean... Uh, there are various uh, opinions out there due to the fact that the local equities do look um, attractively priced, but it could be for a reason. Having said that, we know that uh, the, the dependency on ESCOM is becoming less and less with the amount of solar installations mm. and all those other renewable projects that we're seeing people take on themselves firstly, and then uh, some of the companies taking it on themselves and really uh, lightening the load on ESCOM in the first instance. And that could, uh, a very, very small change in terms of energy production in South Africa and dependency or, or a rather um, hindrance by load shedding could really uh, just create a, a economic growth from a very low base. So there are 
are sort of green shoots that could materialize over the next two years in the South African economy, not due to us being a, a fabulously um, expanding economy, but yeah. rather just the base effect, uh, the low, low base effect that we're coming off. So those are our sort of green shoots that could benefit our market, but that's not my, um, my first focus. I'd rather have a much broader market exposure going into next year, uh, predominantly focused on global equities more so than South African. Yeah, and, and I take your point. I mean, just a few gigawatts of renewables, suddenly load shedding disappears. And for example, ShopRite saves 100 million a month on, on, on diesel costs. On the loser side, it was commodity stocks, left, right and center. The biggie being Sabanya Stillwater, a stock we've, both, we've spoken about a bunch, certainly we've both held at a time. How are you looking at the stock right now? I mean, the commodity cycle is at the, the bottom. It is a, a scary place in the cycle, but you and I have seen this before. They've got good assets. Your take on Sabania? Yes, once again, I mean, it's an unfortunate story that was very geography and specific risks that they were exposed to. I mean, obviously, if you do a mining business in South Africa, you are exposed to a very broad range of risks. And we've seen that with Sabanya. Sabanya mm. has been negatively affected by all of those. And then, of course, the, the, the main driver, the commodity prices, have also affected them negatively over the year. So a bad year, losing half their, their, their market cap value over the last 52 weeks. But the fact is they have diversified. South Africa still remains uh, with Marikana and all the, the big uh, uh, platinum group metal assets in South Africa remains the largest driver of revenue. Around 65% of their revenue is still from South Africa. But over 30% comes from those assets of theirs in the U.S. that focus on the recycling. And then, of course, we know about the acquisitions and the, the mm-hmm. assets they've been accumulating in Europe, focusing on battery technology. And over the longer term, even though those are still very small in their, in their life, that could really benefit this company uh, going forward. From a valuation perspective, they are not not expensive. You're buying these assets at less than book value. Uh, so that's a positive. And then you're paying about four, four and a half times uh, earnings for these shares. So it's not very expensive, but that's sort of a theme that we've seen, as you say, in this very cyclical commodity cycle before. Attractive dividend yield, despite the fact that they find themselves in a very tough economic condition in South Africa, they still pay a dividend yield. The past year, they've paid nearly 8% to mm. shareholders, despite what the price have done. So if you're an investor, not a speculator, uh, you know, you shouldn't, and if you have the stomach to invest in commodities, then you should ride the cycles or you should be uh, sort of trying to time them perfectly. And that's very difficult as both of us know, timing the market. Um, but the dividend yield has been attractive and the uh, the potential of the company going forward. They're still one of the largest producers of platinum group uh, metals in South Africa. It is not a commodity or commodities that we that the, the world has unlimited supply of. Mm. Uh, so these are, are positives for the company over the longer term, but definitely a lot of pain felt in the short term. Yeah, and trying to time it, I, I, I've given up on that. Uh, renewable, <laughs> you, you mentioned a moment ago, Sabanya's in that space. We've chatted renewable energy as a, as a global in- investment theme. We haven't chatted it in a while, but it, it, it is a booming space, and it's a space that certainly you've been looking at for many years now. Yes, no, Simon. I mean, it's a space that's also benefited our, our investors and our funds enormously. We've been invested in, amongst others, the Tsitsikama Community Wind Farm. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, some fiber infrastructure projects. And then we also have a uh, inv- investment in uh, Gaia Renewables, which is uh, it's focused on uh, 
supplying uh, good businesses in South Africa with renewable energy and uh, without them having to do the capital layout for that. So these projects have been very beneficial to, to our investors. These projects are normally very long-term earnings contracts and that makes them uh, more stable in terms of volatility for a portfolio. It gives you the upside of uh, returns uh, quite a bit higher than you normally see in bonds. And so you're getting, uh, you know, growth asset-like returns at very low volatility, which is a great diversifier in any portfolio. So we've been very happy with those exposures in our funds. Due to the fact that it is such a interesting market the last couple of years where we've seen interest rates uh, at, a, at a low just about 18 months ago. So um. uh, many of these developers who normally sold on the, the holdings of these renewable projects to focus on new projects were in the position to refinance very cheaply and keep their, 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 their positions in those in those assets. And that actually made the market quite mm-hmm. tight. So these projects were, weren't easy to come by and it was quite difficult to source these projects. And of course, being such a, a global uh, focus and trend, and in South Africa even more so with load shedding, uh, it is quite hard to come by these these good projects at a decent price these days. But uh, thankfully, we have a, a decent allocation uh, to these uh, renewable projects in our funds. You mentioned bonds there. You and I have never spoken bonds. We've always talked equities. But we've been seeing some decent yields in bonds. I mean, even you know the U.S. was what the tenure was at 5% one time. Our local government bonds are, are double digits. Is this a sector you've been adding or, or, or are you just sticking with equities? Yes, no, most definitely. I mean, funny enough, bonds is actually looking um, is actually kind of looking more, more attractive than any other asset <laughs> class at the moment. If you look on a global space, also it's been a great uh, opportunity again for a balanced and a diversified mm-hmm. portfolio to to expand that exposure again into yielding assets on a global stage where we haven't had that for many years uh, on the, on the global side so that is really uh, 2000 and, uh, 2022 2023 were two years where we say, uh, saw a normalization in how bonds uh, should react by the textbook and um, and that really makes it a little easier again to do asset allocation in a balanced portfolio and yeah, as I say, these uh, these assets, these yielding assets and interest-bearing assets, do look quite attractive on a global on the global front as well as on the local side. So we do have a, a good allocation to interest-bearing assets. Yeah, but suddenly that sixty forty classic portfolio suddenly started to look attractive for the first time in a while. Mia Krichler, director, Kruger International. Always appreciate the insights. If seagulls were hard at ours, who could afford to retire to the coast? What kind of bird would you be? Would you soar over the savannah or chase summer around the globe? You see, even when you stop working, your money won't. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Chatting with uh, Dr. Adrian Savoy. Adrian, appreciate the time today. Uh, one of the buzzwords was transitory. It was all about inflation. It wasn't transitory. We had uh, developed market inflation back at levels last seen in the late 70s and 80s. And the hard part of that w- was getting it back down. I suppose, truthfully, the initial decrease in inflation is relatively easy because of base effect. That hard part is getting back to 2% targets in developed markets. Simon, we've spoken about this before, and you know, really, the thing that you're trying to manage 
uh, at this juncture is uh, is expectations. You're absolutely right. You know, perhaps the easy part was letting the base effect look after itself. And although people are talking now about inflation having eased off, what it doesn't change is another uh, critical facet, which is the cost of living. Because if prices have increased mm. 10 or 15 percent and now the inflation rate falls to zero, your cost of living is up 10, 15 percent, even though inflation is now zero. So there's, you know, there's two things mixed in with the cocktail here. The one is making sure that people have sort of realigned or recalibrated that their expectations are in fact adjusted back to anticipate low single digit uh, inflation. The second is that wages, salaries uh, still need to play catch up with those cost of living adjustments. And that is where even if expectations have been reset, you've still got the necessity of adjusting wages and salaries. And those make up the bulk of business uh, cost platform. Yeah, you mentioned wages there. We had some U.S. jobs data, unemployment rate. It's improved. The number which I looked for was the, the wage increase. That was 4% year on year. Everyone seemed to say, that's a great number. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it, it seemed to me fairly high in a world where the U.S. is targeting 2%, but maybe in some degrees it's mm. kind of playing catch up to the, the increases we've seen over the last year, year and a half. Wages um, are always um, uh, adjusting uh, rather than anticipating, or I shouldn't say always, you know, th there will be instances, but, you know, overwhelmingly, wages are adjusting to inflation. They set after the fact, or they are negotiated after the fact, rather than in anticipation of. So if we've got inflation of 5%, it will then be the case that wages then adjust you know, by 5% or something there around, you know, depending on your uh, bargaining power and negotiating skill, I suppose, as well as the economic context. Mm. And if it is the case that inflation is now falling back into that, you know, two, three, four type territory, where it does seem to be getting, it's still the case that you're going to be dragging around for quite some time this adjustment factor. All of that said, it remains the case, you know, that there's an open question. Have we really seen the back of inflation given the extent and the nature of the monetary stimulus that is still in the system? That's a great point. And also the interest rates, because the lag, I mean, for example, home loans in the US, you fixed 30-year rates. So you, you know, the consumer hasn't felt the hit. Uh, a lot of corporates redid their debt. And, and we've certainly seen central bankers the world over remaining very, very hawkish. We've spoken before around the two mm, blunt mm. instruments a central banker has, rates and language. Huge yes. expectations from markets that the FOMC is going to start cutting, some say as early as March. I can't help thinking we're setting yeah. ourselves up for disappointment. <laughs> if I could throw another spanner into your cocktail, um, <laughs> it would be what is the real economy going to do? Because you know, unlike the local circumstance where the Reserve Bank has a very clear mandate to focus on inflation, mm. in other parts of the world, many central banks have what they call a dual mandate, which is to look after not just inflation, but to also try and manage parts of the real economy, i.e. economic growth and employment. Yeah. And what really befuddles me, Simon, is that the U.S. to this point has been able to escape landing, <laughs> you know, whether you want it to be, you know, soft or a glide path or easing in, 
I'm just amazed that after the monetary tightening you've seen in the U.S., that it's still and a slowdown in other parts of the world economy, that it's still the case that the world's um, you know economic engine continues to power ahead without meeting recession. Now, if recession gets on the cards, then I would say all bets are off on interest rates. They're going to move very quickly on interest rates and start to cut them. We spoke when they were moving up, when they were moving rates high, and we talked a lot about them being behind the curve. Mm, they mm. could now make the argument that inflation's sort of within spitting distance of, of the target. I like your point. They've avoided a landing. Forget soft or hard. They've just avoided it completely and absolutely. <laughs> I mean, are they, are they, is there a risk of getting behind the curve on the down as well? Um, not to be, you know, unkind or uncharitable, but if you look at the long-term behavior of uh, central banks, they tend to be reactive rather than proactive. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I'm saying I'm, I'm not being unkind or uncharitable. That's almost the very essence or the nature of what they're dealing with. Central bankers don't have uh, economic forecasting models and tools more powerful than you know than the best investment bankers and yeah. you know economic uh, analysts globally uh, they are as well equipped and we're working with a very very inexact science when it comes to trying to figure out you know where uh, inflation economic growth employment uh, exchange rates are going so they necessarily working with a blunt instrument and it's almost by definition then that they will be uh, behind the curve. The question is how far behind the curve now, you know, what we've discussed in the past and where I was more vocal than in other mm. places is with inflation, they were particularly behind the curve. They were noticeably uh, behind the curve. Last point, we, we will see rates coming down at some point, maybe fast, maybe later than expected, heck, maybe even sooner than expected. One thing is is zero rates are surely barring mm, know, mm. more pandemics or something. Zero rates are hopefully gone. The world needs to get used to paying for debt. Yeah, and um, you know that's where you'll also get discipline being brought back to capital markets. So it's not just that zero interest rates uh, facilitate you know, economic growth and full employment, zero interest rates also facilitate you know, gross misallocation of capital and yeah. you land up with wildly inflated house prices and wildly inflated stock prices. Yeah, I, I take your point. It is that massive misallocation, and then that creates all sorts of uh, issues in the markets generally. Believe it there. Dr. Adrian Savoy, always appreciate the insights. When you stay invested over time in Stanlib's Global Multi-Strategy Diversified Growth Fund, your money's in for some smooth sailing. With our global partners, J.P. Morgan Asset Management at the helm, your money can withstand the pressure and bad weather day-to-day -day market conditions cause. All aboard? Seek more returns at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. That's it for today. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning on the MoneyWeb website and the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobuchle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow, Agri, in 2023. Listen to the live stream of MoneyWeb Now at the same time every weekday. 
For more business, finance, and investment news, MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast.